to another great episode of The Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Brian, where they talk bourbon and, of course, drink bourbon. Grab yourself a pour, kick back, and enjoy another trip down the bourbon road. We are excited to have our sponsors, Seldom Seen Farms, with their bourbon barrel-aged maple syrup. Kevin and his staff there do a wonderful job. We're excited to have them sign on again this year to support the Bourbon Road, and we love their product. We hope our listeners will visit SeldomSeenMaple.com and check out all they have to offer. A lot of great gifts there. Bourbon-aged maple syrup bourbon barrel aged coffee rickhouse reserve barbecue sauce you can buy it by the bottle you can buy it by the case you can even get bourbon maple candle and they even have maple cotton candy definitely definitely check out seldomseenmaple.com support our sponsors support kevin and his family there they have a 5,000 maple tap operation in Ohio and they're doing it right you know they don't just produce maple syrup they're also bourbon enthusiasts and we love them to death again go check out seldomseenmaple.com Kevin and the staff will take care of Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of The Bourbon Road. We're once again in The Bourbon Road Bar. Got our co-host with us, Brian. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Jim. Happy to be back. Yeah, it's always good to sit down here and grab a few bourbons. We've got four of them lined up tonight. We've got a special guest in who has been on The Bourbon Road once before. I think you've even been on a live event once on Facebook or something, maybe. I think I maybe. think you did a, a little bit of a gobble box riff on on a Facebook live event or something at one time. I think I did. Yes, I did. And uh, but you're back again. And uh, just to introduce you, we've got Bo Garrett in the house. Tell us a little bit about what you do today, Bo. The actual title that I have is uh, called Executive Brand Builder at Wild Turkey Distillery. Uh, brand Builder could mean anything from you know, leading the VIP tour to wiping down the bar once the, once the day's closed. But I, I really enjoy it. Um, I was listening to your episode when you had Bruce on, and yeah. he couldn't remember the title. He's like, I'm not sure what they call him. He's, I think it was brand champion or something. I was, next time I see him, I want one of those. I want one of those WWE belts, Bruce. It's yeah. a brand champion. There you um, go. But yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I can. I'll be running the bar one day. Uh, matter of fact, I saw you recently uh, when i was running the bar but i'll take care of vip events um lead tastings lead tours whether it's a vip tour or your standard tour now how long you been at wild turkey uh i think five years obviously known been around the business a lot longer than that but about five years that i've actually been employed by wild turkey well we're going to get straight to the whiskey here and like like i said we've got four uh, wild turkey products we're going to drink through tonight. We've got some good ones. We've had some ones that have been on the show before, but uh, we're going to drink through them with you. And uh, you helped us choose these before the show. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't think there's any bad choices. Well, there's never a bad choice with wild turkey. That's kind of what I was thinking. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had something from wild turkey that I was unhappy with. Now, there are some that are better than others, Mm -hmm. but uh, never had one that I was disappointed in. And I've been drinking wild turkey since 1981. I've had some that blew me away. Yeah. Like, holy cow, didn't see that coming. That's great. Well, this is our warm up tonight. So, uh, and and I think our listeners might know what's coming down the pike, but, uh, I warm up with this bourbon on a regular basis, and it doesn't matter what I'm having on the show. I always like to go into a show already having had a pour, primarily because if I don't, I get that first bitter note of the day from whatever I'm drinking, and I don't think that's fair to the bottle I'm reviewing. Mm. So it's always nice to have that warm-up bourbon. What do you warm up with, Brian? Well, a lot of times I will warm up with the JTS Brown. Yeah. We all know I like that one quite a bit, so that's usually a good one to go to, but I do agree. This this is a nice warm up. This here. is definitely a nice warm up. And what about you, Poe? Do you warm up at all, or you just go straight for it? I do like my one hundred and one. Yeah, that's it, it's just a good all around bourbon. It is. It absolutely is. Well, cheers, fellas. Let's warm cheers, up. Cheers. Cheers. Wow, it's always good. It's always got that nice spice to wake up the palate, and it's uh, not too strong, not too hot. It won't overpower whatever you're going to have next, but it's not it's not wimpy either. It's got a little bit of a bite to it. Oh, so good every time. I think it's probably for me the most versatile bourbon out there. Yeah, I said it's in just my opinion, of course, but I think it might be the most underestimated bourbon that there is. Yeah, because people have applied some kind of uh, stigma to 101, you know, like, oh, I was college. I had, uh, and I've started telling people, man, because I'm, I'm flying the 101 flag every day. That's, I want people to realize you know, you're, you're missing out. Yeah. When people start talking about their college days in 101, I'm always like, uh, 101 wasn't the problem. <laughs> I think you were. <laughs> Before the show started, I was telling you we had a, a wild turkey tasting. Mm-hmm. About a month ago, we had, I don't know, there's probably 100 plus people there taking the tasting. And a few of them were from Wild Turkey. You know, they work at the distillery there. And, of course, they didn't announce themselves until afterwards. But, right. But, you know, our tasting was called Why Not Wild Turkey? And and the reason we did that was because it still has that stigma, like you said. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people think, oh, wait a minute. Isn't that that college whiskey? Isn't that that biker whiskey? Isn't that that yeah. bad boy whiskey? Yeah. And everybody, you know, from... The 80s and the 90s has the have we have those memories of those nights that we probably shouldn't have been part of. Oh yeah, everybody that you talk to when they, yeah, you know, I always when I lead a tasting and and one on one's part of it, I'll hold the bottle up, and before I say anything, I can look at that crowd and you'll see at least two or three people. <laughs> oh, they get that look on their face, and I'm like, I, I know we made one. some bad life choices right there. <laughs> Because you're not going to win a fight with it if you try to fight with it, but that's not what you're supposed to do with it to begin with. That's absolutely correct. So, I, you know, it fared very well that night. All the wild turkey expressions we had fared very well that night. And, they, we, you know, we took, we took votes at the end. Which one did you like the best? And, you know, that's a matter of preference, right? Absolutely. And uh, I will say that Wild Turkey 101 got its fair share of votes. So, And that's because it sits right in that saddle around 100 proof. It's mm-hmm. not too hot. It's not too weak. It's kind of right there in the right spot. I agree. So, Bo, what what was the reason 101 
is at 101. Why, why did it end up at 101 proof? Well, what I was told by Jimmy Russell is, you know, I, I get questions all the time. But where did where did the name come from? That was, as I think everybody's pretty well aware at this point, it was actually a wild turkey hunting trip. And the way it was explained to me was that there was a gentleman who was working for Austin Nichols. They were going on a hunting trip in the Carolinas. And even Jimmy said, I don't know which one of the Carolinas it was, but I know they were in the Carolinas. And he just pulled some stuff out of the barrel. And the way Jimmy explained it to me, he was pulling it out of an eight-year-old barrel. That happened to be 101 proof. And that's how that name came about. You know, people asking him. And I, I totally believe this part because – you know, being here in Kentucky, my whole life, it's been that thing. If you don't have a name for something and you brought something that I love, the next time I saw you, I'd be like, hey, you got any more of that wild turkey stuff with you? Because that's what we were doing. We had it. And I think that's probably very true about how the name came about. But yeah, supposedly it was a eight-year-old barrel that just happened to be 101 proof when they pulled it out of the barrel. And and I think I had heard something along those lines. Now, you know, you hear a lot of fables in oh, in, yeah. in, in the whiskey world. and But I had always heard that 101 kind of was at one time kind of the barrel proof. You know, that's kind of what it came out of the barrel at. And I could see that because they were going in typically at 107. Yeah. And it tends to lose a little bit of proof. It, well, depending on the floors, right? Yeah, where it's at. Mm-hmm. So if it's up on the higher levels. You're going up. Going up in proof, mm-hmm. and it's down in the basement. Not the basement, but the ground floor. Right. It's going to go down in proof. Right. It's like if you see a, like, say a Booker's, that's 128 proof. You can't legally go into the barrel at 128 proof and be bourbon. Right. So you're looking at something that, you know, some people say ages faster or whatever, but your evaporation is mainly water, and it happens up top. Yes. Yeah. How hot does it get up in the top of the – you've been up in the top of the brick houses in the summertime. I have, and it's horrible. Um, I I don't know the exact temperature. I want to say Jimmy told me one time that he measured the temp, and it was well over 120 up top. Now, are there fellows that – or gals? Are there are there workers at Wild Turkey that have to go up there in the heat and, yep. and work on those barrels if they yes, need a little tending? Six or seven people, I think it is. Six or seven, maybe. Maybe even eight on a – barrel team when they go into those warehouses yeah and their job is to inspect the barrels and see which ones need a well, little most bit of- people generally go in just taking them in and putting them out okay that, that kind of thing that's usually what those people are doing so they're not they're not, if you got one that's leaking it's just going to leak is that the way it goes or it shouldn't it should it should get reported <laughs> it should get reported <laughs> <laughs> i've seen barrels in there before like i don't think anybody's told them about this one yet <laughs> go back and just eddie just shake his head like tell us well, that. i think i'd always heard that you know barrels require a little bit of maintenance over their lifetime yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and they can spring a leak, and you need to do something with them. Now I don't know what that something is, but um, I know that in a, Kentucky Cooperage was kind enough to bring us over and let us see them do the entire process of building barrels, and uh, it was kind of cool to me to see toward the end there they check them to see if they're leaking or whatever and have you, and the guy was like do you know if we got a leak between the staves what we do he said cattails cattails because it has to be organic you can't use anything you can't yeah. use glue or any kind of sealant and he said uh yeah a male cattail that they'll slide it in there and when it gets wet it'll expand and close that gap between those two staves now is it like the stalk of the cattail that's the blade 
the blade. Oh, yeah, the, okay. the yeah. I, I didn't know which one was male and female. Didn't even know there was a male and female cattail. He said it's one with a corn dog on it. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah, and that's what I think about when I think of a cattail is that right. corn dog. Up I didn't on the know end. there was two different ones. That's the only thing I knew was the one that had the corn dog on the end. But evidently, there's another one too. I swear, I learned something new every single show. Did you know that, Brian? <laughs> I did not. That is so cool. Wow, it was bizarre. <laughs> but yeah, they would they would seal up leaks like that because it makes sense because you can't do anything organic. Mm-hmm. I would imagine now if you got a leak in the middle of the stave, they've got, obviously got those little looks like golf tees. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could put a little hole and seal that back up. Yeah, well, that's that's something else. So I I was down at Wild Turkey the other day, and mm-hmm. like you mentioned when we first got on air here, going through the gift shop, and the gift shop's not currently at its main location. It is not. You're at the, the temporary location, which used to be the old gift shop, right? Yeah, it was the original first visitor center that Wild Turkey ever had. Um, if anybody's listening, it came to that little yellow house back in the day and saw Jimmy sitting over in that living room uh, on the couch. That's where we're back at now. Uh, he told me it opened in 1988 as Wild Turkey's visitor center back then. Originally built for the train master is what it was for. So the house is one of the oldest houses in Lawrenceburg. Yeah, it still looks great. Looks great. Had, They've done a little bit of work on yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> there was a little bit of work got done to it before we moved into it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it was nice to see you there. It was kind of a surprise. I came around the corner to the bar, and you were uh, you were pouring some great some great uh, drinks. Not only yeah. pours of bourbon, but you're also making some cocktails there. Yeah, doing a little bit of everything back there, man. So I did get my, my leather wild turkey hat while I was there, Brian. I've been wanting one of those. And it worked. It, you wore it well. I'm yeah. You did. It worked. <laughs> when you, I, One of my favorite Jimmy stories, when you saw me uh, back there at that bar, I don't know if you noticed, but behind me, there's a doorway pass through going into the kitchen. Okay. Jimmy, when he visits, loves t- to give me a hard time. If I see Jimmy 99% of the time, as soon as he lays eyes on me, the first thing he does is look at me and go, well, who woke you up? <laughs> <laughs> and I was working the bar back there one day, and I saw the people across the bar looking at me, talking to me about what drink they were going to get. Started to laugh. I'm like, what in the world are they laughing about? This is a serious business. And I felt something <laughs> hit me in the back of the head, and I turned around and looked in the kitchen, and Jimmy was in the kitchen with that cane poking me in the back of the head from the back <laughs> of the kitchen. <laughs> He's got that sense of humor, doesn't he? I love him. Yeah. yeah. So, How often does he get down to the gift shop there? Or you, um, or you call that the visitor center, I should say. Yeah, because that's all we have right now is that's as a visitor center. So, yeah. you know, because we still like to, I love to be in there and like talk with people. And, and I still tell the stories and um, that kind of thing with them. So I, I, I love that part of it. So, yeah, I still call it that. Yeah. But hopefully we're we're hoping to get back up as soon as possible into that big one. So what are they? What kind of renovation are they doing up there? Just a once over on it? Or are they completely redoing it? No, it's going to look very much the same when you pull up to it on the outside. Yeah, uh, it did have to have a new roof put on because uh, we had some tornadoes that went through Louisville back last summer, and um, my manager went in and she said she found the corner of the roof laying over in the yard, so that had to be done. Yeah. But now the inside is going to get a redesign, a reimagine, if you would. I didn't know that. The the tornado that came through and lift the roof off my barn went down yeah, down yeah. to Wild Turkey and did a little damage. How about that? We just got the straight line stuff, but still, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was strong enough to take the corner of the roof off. Yeah, I don't think we actually got the tornado here. But uh, yeah, my barn roof actually lifted off. It pulled every nail out of my roof, lifted the roof up in the air, 
and then set it back down on top of the barn. Well, I guess that helped a little. Well, it was nice that I still had a bar- <laughs> I had a roof on my barn, but they had to take it all off and, and oh, yeah. put a new yeah. one on. So yeah, this was a perfect square. Yeah, that it took off over there and just she said it just laid it over in the yard. When people come back to visit, though, that big glass uh, end of the building will still be there. Yeah, uh, and and hopefully that part of the building will be utilized in an even better way uh, for guests because uh, they love that view of the river, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's really something there up on the. It's not cliffs, but it's just an overlook on the river there. Something it's not else. a bad way to come to work every morning and see that sun coming up over the river that behind that bridge. Yeah, that's a pretty cool view every morning getting in there. Now, do you live on this side of the river, on I, the Turkey side I of the do. river? I live on do the you? Turkey side. Yeah, you live you live in Lawrence, Lawrence River. I do. Yeah, takes me about eight minutes with traffic to get to work. Oh, tell me about that traffic traffic in Lawrenceburg. (laughs) (laughs) I said something one day, the the manager, she lives closer than I do. And somebody said, how far do you live? I said, I can get here in about six minutes. She goes, six minutes? She said, how do you get here in six minutes? I'm like, we're not talking about how. I just said I can get here in six minutes. All right. Well, let's check out what we got in our next glass. Mm -hmm. And you actually picked it out, right, Bo? I did. Picked it right off my shelf. I think your eye went straight to it. You did say that you haven't really had an opportunity to to spend any time with this one, right? No, this is actually the first time I've had a chance to try it. All right. Well, this is the uh, Wild Turkey Diamond, and this was a tribute to Jimmy Russell uh, for his 60th uh, anniversary at Wild Turkey as master distiller. I don't know what he's at now. 68. 68 years. So this was business. So if we want to date this bottle, it's it's about eight years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sixty years at Wild Turkey, not as master distiller. Right, he right. became master distiller in sixty seven. Okay, so we're coming up on that would be uh, forty fifties. It will be sixty years as a master distiller in twenty twenty seven. And he, the way he's going, he'll be there. He'll be, <laughs> he'll be there. Just, just come on down on a Saturday and yeah. say, "Hey, Jimmy." <laughs> now, a lot of people don't realize that when he became the master distiller over there, it was, uh, was JTS Brown at that point. It was a different distillery. It yeah. sure was. Yeah, because he got there in '54, and in '54 that was Anderson County Distilling. And then he was only there for a year, and it became J.T.S. Brown, which is why when you hear people say the McBrayer Rickhouses um, over across from Four Roses, those were Rickhouses that belong to us. Right. When you hear people say the McBrayer Rickhouses, a lot of people think that that is in relation to Judge McBrayer. It had nothing to do with his distillery. That location was referred to as McBrayer. Yeah. Uh, that was J.T.S. Brown Rickhouses. So how many different Rickhouse locations does Wild Turkey have? Three. Three. Well, I mean, if I count the Tyrone as one big footprint. So that's the main distillery side. Yeah. That's both sides of the road. Over by the, the distillery and on the other side of the road, I count all of that as one. Then you've got over across from Four Roses is what was JTS Brown uh, there. And then, of course, the legendary Camp Nelson Rickhouses. Camp Nelson down in uh, Nicholasville. That's Nicholasville, right? Close to Garrett County, heading out that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's right. right across from the cemetery there. To be is that there. right after you cross over the Kentucky River again? It's like right there? It's right before. Right, right be- before. Yeah, if you're going toward the water from there, you're right, be- right before. Because that was, those rickhouses belonged to, believe it or not, Canada Dry Distilling Company. 
Oh, really? Oh, wow. The old Curly Distillery used to sit down there, you know, where the bridge crosses the Kentucky River. Uh-huh. The old DJ Curly one was down there, right on the river. Uh, but Canada Dry was making Kentucky bourbon. EJ Curley has been resurrected. <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, guys, I'm ready to. I haven't. I haven't had the diamond in probably more than a year, and uh, I'm ready to try it again. So this is a 91 proof, and uh, for me, it's kind of. Really gentle on the nose. It is. Nice and soft. I still tell it's turkey, though. Oh, yeah. It's definitely I can, turkey. I can tell. Just, yeah. So, a fine tribute to Jimmy on his 60th anniversary. And uh, there's still, I mean, I think I bought this bottle th- two or three years ago on the shelf. So, you can still find this kind of stuff in the wild if you get your eyes open. Mm, that's good punches above its weight just a little bit it does yeah nice spice on that i like that yeah it does have a little bit more of a sort of a back end bite to it doesn't it Mm -hmm. it's kind of soft up front though a little bit wow i was gonna say that a little soft on the front but finish hangs around for a second finish is good yeah very good i should have done my research i I didn't i didn't really have the time to, to research this bottle and get back up to date on it from the time you picked it off the shelf until we drank it. But <laughs> I, I, I would imagine that uh, it's got uh, some eight to 12 year old whiskey in it because that's what, that's what Jimmy loves. That's right? his window. Yeah. He, he'll say that he thinks eight to 12 is about the right spot. Yeah. You know, whereas a lot of people would say, well, have you had some of the stuff coming out of there recently? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like this 17-year bottle and bond. Well, I was going to say, and 13 not a bad number either <laughs> that, when it comes to wild turkey products. Uh, I think so. 13's a real good number. <laughs> yeah. So so where do, the, where do the three pallets sit? I'm talking about Jimmy, Eddie, and Bruce. Where do their pallets sit individually? Jimmy is big on consistency, and he wants it to be consistent from bottle to bottle to bottle. That's his, that's his thing. Um, he'll talk about it being clean. Basically, meaning what we love about non-shell filtration is what he doesn't love about non-shell filtration. He wants a nice, clean finish, likes the sweetness. Um, I think Eddie prefers it a little spicier. Yeah. And, you know, I know Eddie's the son, but he's he's got a true love of the old school way of doing it. Uh, like, if it was up to Eddie, I think it would all be non-shell filtered and Barrel proof and like that's the way it was made. So the Russell's single barrels more Eddie's. Kinda. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, and like even if you, um, if you have a, a Russell single barrel beside of rare breed, rare breed's Jimmy's baby, right? You'll notice the viscosity is different, and that Russell's even though the rare breed's at one sixteen, some of those Russell's man, they're like here I am. Yeah, Eddie likes that. He's, oh yeah, yeah. Bruce is a rye person. He loves his rye whiskey. He does. He does. Mm-hmm. He, like you said, he was on the show not too long ago, and we drank through some rye. So mm-hmm. Eddie gives him credit for Eddie gives Bruce credit for kind of pulling him into doing more rye stuff and and, uh, and getting more into rye whiskeys. And there's been some tasty ones that have come out, and and we've got one for the show today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it'll probably be the last one we drink towards the end. Is that it? I don't remember the proof on it, but it's going to be 104. Up there. Was it 104? Yeah. You sold me that bottle. 
And I'm telling you, it's, <laughs> it's one of those if you can just get people. And I'm a, don't get me wrong. Now, I'm not like the biggest rye whiskey fan in the world. I would be more likely to lean Jimmy's direction, you know, or what have you with that kind of thing. But when I tried that one the first time, I was like, holy smoke, this is fantastic. Yeah. Is, is there one rye that sticks out to you more than others? Is is that the one that kind of takes turkey first rise? place from turkey products? Yeah. I think so. I think it is. When I think about all the other products. Now, don't get me wrong. Like you and I were talking before the show, as far as a good, versatile rye whiskey, you can't. It's hard to beat 101 rye. Yeah. What about the Cornerstone? I loved it. Yeah. Um, that one was powerful to me. That one that one lets you know you were drinking rye whiskey when you touched that one. Uh, I told, told Eddie one day, I said, I loved it. I said, love the taste of it, but I was ready to quit tasting it before it was ready for me to. <laughs> <laughs> I had a finish for days on that thing. Yeah. Well, you know, we're sipping on this uh, diamond. I'd like to start chit-chatting a little bit about your life before Turkey. And... Uh, you just happened to play for Montgomery Gentry for a while. You were the guitarist there, lead guitarist, right? Right. How many years did you do that? We were on the road as MG for, I think, 20, 21 years, something like that. Um, as far as having played music with Eddie and Troy, well before that, back in the bars in Lexington. So that was, oh, good grief. That was well, I met Troy right after I moved to Lexington, and he and I started hanging out and became buddies right after I got down to Lexington, which is like 30 years ago. Yeah. So maybe more than that now at this point in time. I keep forgetting how old I am. You guys were playing bars in, in Lexington and 30 years ago, so that would have been uh, early 90s? Mm-hmm. Early Absolutely. 90s. Yep. Okay. Because 99 was when the first single came out. Yeah. That was Hillbilly Shoes, of course. Yeah. It was the first one. Maybe we get you to play a little bit of that. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if I can do it on that thing or not. No, that's got a riff in it that I think you need your electric for. You know what's funny <laughs> is that riff, when that came to us as a demo, that was a bluegrass song. Yeah. So that riff was on a banjo. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. It was on a banjo, and they were like, can you play that? I was like, not like that. I can, <laughs> I can play a guitar riff to it, but I can't do that. Well, darn, we probably should have had you bring your electric with you, too, yeah. but that's all right. Next time, we'll I'm, have you on again. I'm yeah. kind of interested to know, what were some of the bars that you played in Lexington? Oh, wow. Be easier to say which ones we didn't. Uh, the Congress was was the one that we called the Dungeon. It was one of those bars, like, if you didn't have a knife when you came in, they'd give you one. Uh, <laughs> so we played there. New Circle M was one that I played. I feel like. Eddie said that he played that before I got there. Austin City's the obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, there was two or three more over there. Continental Inn played there. Just a bunch of them. All of them felt like. Yeah. So so what was uh, what was your music life like before you met Troy? Or you guys were hanging out for a while, but yeah. Um when I back when I before I moved to Lexington, uh I'd been playing in a country band for a little while, but in during the 80s era there, I was in a heavy metal hair band. You were? Yeah. I had all kinds of hair. Um, wore the spandex. and not, Nothing that we're proud of, but things happen. You we were in a hat now, so we can't tell. Yeah, there's nothing left. It's gone. Uh, had all this long black hair. Yeah. yeah. I played in a 
heavy metal hair band for a while when that was the big thing? Well, you know, all of those things uh, contribute to the end result, right? They're all part oh, of your yeah. life. They're all part of your journey. And I'm sure you gain some knowledge and experience and, and whatnot playing in that hair band. Yeah, I think being in a rock band helped when Eddie and Troy decided to do the Montgomery Gentry thing. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be tagged along with them there. They they both grew up with rock, too. So being in a rock band helped for the live performances as far as Montgomery Gentry, because it was not a, if you've ever seen MG Live, it wasn't to just stand there in one spot and sing to you kind of show. That's, yeah. that's not what MG was about. Mm-hmm. Now, were you a, a single guy back then? Single fella? When I met them guys? Yeah. 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 So I guess is is I was again after I met them too. I, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's probably probably a good thing to hang out with Troy, wasn't it? I mean, the girls were probably around. Oh, yeah, you could say good. There's plenty of girls around, but if Troy's in the room, they're not looking at you. <laughs> Is that hey, is that one of the best looking men I've ever seen? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I think I think it's like we always say: rising tide raises all ships. I think if you're yeah, with Troy Gentry, yeah, yeah. it kind of it ups your odds a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. There's that too. <laughs> yeah, but I said that Troy was like, uh, you know, he was talented, but it was it didn't hurt to have eye candy there for the girls <laughs> because yeah. with Eddie, Eddie, the guys loved Eddie. Let me tell you, in in that whole. Oh, I'm man, testosterone, man. you know, that he, kind he was, of, he's a brute. He, and, and Southern rockers loved yep. Eddie. Yep. But then we were able to bridge both those gaps because we had Troy there too, who could sing and who looked like that. So then the young ladies wanted to come see Montgomery Gentry because they got to look at Troy Gentry <laughs> while he was singing. Yeah. And that, so if you're looking at something that was like the total package, having those two guys up front, man. You, you covered the spectrum. But they let you step out front every now and then, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. They were they, – they gave me free reign. That was as far as that goes. <laughs> it's just, you know, if you've we, – we played together for so long, I knew, okay, my turn. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've posted – no, you've got a, a great – some great social media accounts, and, and you oh, get back you. and you post, post some of them. Yeah, they pop up occasionally. It's kind of the cool. great, the great fun pics of of the time your time with the band, and I have to say they bring back some memories. And 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 it, I can tell that you're living the dream right then. You're living absolutely, the dream. yeah. And I don't know that we were fully aware of that, yeah. But because it was so much fun that I don't think we took time to take it in. If that makes any sense, um, we got to play New Year's Eve at Rupp Arena. That was like, for us, that was a dream come true, sure. man. For us, like, stomping yeah. around every bar in Lexington. Now we're going to headline a New Year's Eve show at Rupp Arena. That was awesome. And several years later, my wife and I were at a, a basketball game over there. And she had gone to get ice cream. And I was just like taking forever, obviously. Uh and she was like, she's like getting, she said, I was getting worried. He's going to be like, oh my God, the game's getting to start back it's after halftime. Where's she at? Why's she been going so long? But um, she got stuck in line and happened to be looking at the wall where they were selling the ice cream. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of me and Eddie and Troy on the, on the wall at Rupp Arena. And she came back, she said, you're not going to believe this. 
And then after the game, she walked me out there and I was like, are you kidding me? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like being in a Hall of Fame for a Kentucky boy right, right. on the wall. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and we all know the ice cream's legendary, so you don't. You get in line, you don't get out of line. You gotta wait for it. <laughs> and that's the thing is, they when I found out she was there for the ice cream, I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, I know why you were going so long now." You know, oh, this is some great conversation. I, I'm out of whiskey. How about you, Brian? No, you're doing all right. I've, I've got a little bit. Oh, left. oh man, I feel guilty. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm on full steam here. So, Jim, can I ask you what your favorite Montgomery Gentry song was? Yeah, I've never been a favorites guy. I, you know, I don't have a favorite band. I don't have a favorite song. I don't have a favorite TV show. I don't have a favorite book. I just kind of consume things. I, you know, I don't have a favorite football, basketball, or baseball team. It's kind of just, I'm just one of those guys that have never, like, uh, picked a side. You just, you just appreciate what's in front of you. I do. I, I might be a little, I'll tell you what mine is. Yeah. Long line of losers. Oh my gosh, dude. We had so much fun with that song. <laughs> Loved it. It's I think that is of course there's so many that, that everybody know, you know, they all know real well, but that's the one that's my go to. There was a point in time on stage when we get to the end of it where, you know, because at the end of it it was kind of like a guitar solo. So I'd be standing up there beside of them, all three of us would stand up there and we'd all do the L thing on the forehead until it was pointed out. Oh, big Louisville fans, are you? We're like, oh, we <laughs> that, doing that's that. upside yeah, down. Yeah, I got to turn those Sorry. upside down to do that. No, that was a that was a fun song to play. Yeah, you know, I I think that uh, we've had such a great first half here. We've had a couple of great pours, and we've got two more ahead of us. I'm really looking forward to those. I think that I feel kind of guilty that I've sipped on this so quick. And it's, it's gone. It's good. You guys are it's way, way behind me. It's really so, easy so to good. Yeah. I, I am home already, so I guess I can drink a little bit faster <laughs> yeah, there than you, you guys. <laughs> That's right. All right. When we come back, a lot more of Bo Garrett and Wild Turkey. We're going to have a great time tonight. Stick with us. Folks, we definitely encourage you to check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. That's Seldom Seen Farms. Kevin and his staff there are doing a fantastic job. And like we said at the beginning of the show, you know, they've got a 5,000 maple tap operation. They're a first-generation farm with a passion to produce the very best maple products available. They've won so many awards, and they have a very special, unique aging method for their syrup and for their barrel-aged coffee. They provide quality at a very affordable price. You know, they're not a maple factory or a co-packer. Kevin and his staff there are farmers with a passion for maple. Like I said before, Kevin is a bourbon enthusiast. He's not just a paid sponsor. He's a friend of the show. He's a roadie. And he loves helping roadies get down the bourbon road. Make sure you check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. You know, they're constantly producing great bourbon-aged maple syrups using barrels from the very best distilleries. They also return those barrels to the distilleries. Afterwards, distilleries like New Riff, Leaper's Fork, Treaty Oak Distilling, The Bar Distillery, Pine Bluffs Distilling, Mystic Farm and Distillery, Jay Riger, so many more to come. Kevin and his staff there are just spreading the love, spreading the maple syrup, making it happen. And you know, at the end of the day, those barrels that age that maple syrup get refilled with some wonderful bourbon. 
and make some great maple finished bourbon whiskey. How awesome is that? Definitely check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. Get you some. We had a nice little break there. We got to finish our diamond. We got to sip on that diamond, and uh, I don't think a drop was wasted, was it, Bo? Well, I know mine wasn't. Yeah, Brian, <laughs> not not a drop wasted. That's a that's a nice whiskey. I, I would say that it's pretty rare to find one of those out in the wild. Again, I got lucky when I found that one. And uh, if you do run across one, I'd highly suggest you pick it up, as long as you're not paying too much crazy dollars for it. But we had a we had a couple other little tastes during the during the break there. We've we've had a few bites of something to eat. We're back now. We're re-energized and ready to go. And we have something new in our glass. We've had this on the show recently. We had this uh, probably about a month and a half ago. We had it on the show, but um, I think it's appropriate to bring it back now. Bo's here, and uh, we're going to have the uh, the Wild Turkey Twelve Year One Hundred and One Export Twenty Twenty. Three or twenty twenty two, what is it? Twenty two, twenty two. Yeah, would be the twenty two version. And uh, you've had this. You've got a bottle. Of uh, it. Yep. I, well, I've got some left in the bottle. Yeah, doesn't yeah. last long, does it? Oh my gosh. We got a hashtag here. It's called OTDB. I don't know if you saw that or not. OTDB. Mm-hmm. Got a ball cap up there. Oh, oh yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. Open the damn bottle. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> love it. We figure most distilleries probably agree with us. That you should open your damn bottle. But uh, more importantly, they believe you should do what you want with your whiskey, right? Yeah, sure. it, it, I've heard Jimmy tell people to uh, open the bottle and then drink it and then fill it back up with iced tea if you want to save that bottle. Yeah. <laughs> tell people, they'll say, I'm never going to open this. When he's signing a bottle, he'll say, why not? I'm writing on the outside of the bottle. Exactly. <laughs> he said, drink it. Fill gotta, it back up with iced tea. You need to drink that whiskey because, you know, that's where you get the enjoyment from, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, you, that story, now, there's an... And we've we've talked about this before. If there's there are reasons to save a bottle. Somebody's going to be eighteen and uh, you know ten years. You want to have a bottle ready for them, or twenty one, I should say. Somebody's going to be twenty one. You want to have a bottle for them on their twenty first, or you got an anniversary you're going to celebrate, or you got a friend that's coming in from overseas and you want to save the bottle for them. Whatever the reason, those are all great reasons, right? But uh, if the reason is you don't want to, you don't want it to be gone. That's probably not a good reason. What you're never—it's just my opinion on this one. But if it's never enjoyed, uh-huh. and I think that's like with those guys, heard the same thing from Fred. No, you know, it's like th- these guys put a lot of time and effort into this. They want you to drink it. They'd much rather you come back in and say, you know, if Jimmy's sitting in there, you walk in and Jimmy's sitting there and say, "I found me a bottle of the Russell's Thirteen. We opened that with the family around the table." That's some of the best bourbon I've ever had. That makes him feel a lot better. It makes him happier. Yeah. Than if you walk in there and you say, I found me a bottle of Russell's 13. It's up on my shelf. I ain't opening that. It, it, that's really not his in his wheelhouse. Same with Eddie. They like, you know. Yeah. I've always said that I think that the great thing about bourbon is it, it gives you an opportunity to share with folks mm-hmm. and create stories and memories. And so that's what's really special for me is when I have somebody come over and they have an opportunity to taste something that they wouldn't normally have or, you know, they just see something cool and they're like, hey, can I have that? 
you have some cool stories that come out and you get to mm-hmm. share. They, most people would taste things that, that they would probably never taste otherwise. And it opens right. their eyes up. I don't think I've ever had the joy in opening a bottle here at the house and drinking it by myself that I've had with opening it and sharing it with somebody else. It's just, there's yeah. a whole new level, right? When you get to see the look on their face. They get to try that because we get some nice bottles every now and then, and, you know, not everybody can get those. And it's always fun to share and it's always great for conversation. And uh, yeah, you, if you got 300 bottles in your bar, you don't need them all open, but you should right. be on that. You should be on that, that action of trying to get on, on that, that on the journey. Your end goal. Your end goal is to open those whiskeys, right? <laughs> All right, so this is the Wild Turkey 101 12-year export. This is available in, let me see if I get this right. This is available in Japan, mm-hmm. Korea, mm-hmm. and Australia. That's that's right. And that's it. And if you're yeah, not one of those was, places. It was originally South Korea first, got it first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't think they're shipping any to North Korea. No. <laughs> Might make it a little easier to get along with. <laughs> but anyway, so. The fact that we've got a bottle and you've got a bottle means that there's some uh, gracious folks in the world that have made sure some bottles have made it back this direction so that we can share it. Absolutely. And, and got it. Help me get mine knows who he is. Yeah. He knows I appreciate it. So if it, it just, just if you're traveling to Japan or Korea or, or Australia, just remember Jim, Brian, and yeah, Bo. Exactly. We'd be happy to reimburse you for your expenses. No doubt. <laughs> Wouldn't we? <laughs> But this is 12 years. It's a 101. It's uh, it's something that um, has received great acclaim this year, certainly by the people who know Wild Turkey. Um, and I think we should enjoy it. Cheers, yes, fellas. Sir. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. That's just, that's de facto turkey right there. That's just so good. Did you get to share a little bit with Jimmy? Of this one? Yeah. No. No. Mm-mm. I'm just wondering what his, what his opinion on it would be. I think this would be written in Jimmy's wheelhouse. I think based on what he's told me he likes and what I've seen that he does like. Yeah. I think, he, I think he'd say, yeah, that, that's pretty good work. Well, we had David, Rare Bird, on the show, and he I- sipped on this one, and and I think, if I remember correctly, he said this had a fair chance to be in his bourbon in the year 2022. Yep. No so. argument for me on that. I want to be sad to see it go, but I am so damn glad I opened it. And I've got mm-hmm. to share it with quite a few people already. I've not heard anybody who had a chance to taste that bottle not have like that, Wow. That's been everybody I've talked to that's tried has been like, holy cow. There's been nobody I've, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. There's, it's usually way more than that. Now, I, I don't know that you have the details on this particular batch, but uh, when it says 12 year, that means the youngest whiskey in it is 12. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that there aren't older whiskeys in it. Right. Do you know anything more than we know? I don't. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd ask. Let's know how hard it is to get. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one that I don't don't have a lot of info on because you know I didn't think I was ever going to see it. You yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm in Kentucky. Uh, so yeah, that one wasn't one that I I knew a whole lot about. So, Bo, what do you do for fun? What do you do when you're not uh, working at Wild Turkey? What's your What's your leisure time look like? Uh 
honestly, I spend a lot of time reading and studying like a lot of bourbon history. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the things I love to do, um, especially regarding Lawrenceburg and Anderson County. Yeah. I love to try to find out, you know, what was happening back then, how it all went down. So do you uh, do you collect things from that period? Or are you just an information gatherer? Do you I, like stories? Do you do you write anything down? I do write a lot of stuff down. I got notebooks full of stuff. Like when I find something, I really oh wow, that's cool info. Um, not so much collect stuff. I don't really. I'm, I'm more like you said, information gathering. Yeah, and and sharing that information. See, that gives me a lot of of uh, pleasure to share the information there of that property and, and the surrounding properties with people when they come in. Because one thing I've noticed about people who visit the bourbon trail now, they're a lot more knowledgeable about the process of making bourbon than they've ever been. So, you know, when I start getting questions <laughs> regarding the pH level, what works best for our yeast and stuff like that, I'm like, all right, well, you're not going to be interested in my jokes right now, are you? <laughs> um, but you get those questions. now. So for me, those folks now, they want to know the history behind that bourbon. Sure. You know, and we've got two legends right there on property. Absolutely. So they want to know their history as well. And I am blessed to say that both those guys are friends and are willing to share their story with me so I can share it with other people. And I don't have to say, well, somebody told me Jimmy Russell did this. We're like, Jimmy Russell told me that he did this. Yeah. That kind of thing. Now, I heard Jimmy was quite the football player back in the day. There was a guy came in the other day, just like last week. Uh, he was looking for Jimmy. It just so happened it wasn't a day Jimmy was in there. Went to high school with him. And I made some kind of remark similar to that. I was like, yeah, Jimmy's a pretty good athlete when you guys were in school. And this guy was like, he might have been the best athlete in the state of Kentucky. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, really? Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, – and Jimmy was sitting with him at one point. You know, he held a whole lot of records in Anderson County. A lot of them were his athletic records. Yeah. And we were sitting there talking. He's talking about he still had the record for uh, the 100 yard dash in and from Anderson County High School. I was like, still to this day? He goes, Still my record. <laughs> and he was like, you know why, don't you? I said, no. He said, they changed it to the 100 meter. <laughs> I was like, that's beautiful. <laughs> but Jimmy can honestly tell that story, and it's for real. <laughs> and he's like, you know why he still owns it, don't you? <laughs> that, that is so is, funny. Is there anything that, and I'm sure this list would be very long, but is there anything that's really just surprised you digging through all that history that, has just been kind of mind blowing to the point of who would have thought couple things. Um, one is the amount of bourbon that was being made within just a couple of miles of where wild Turkey sits today. I was like, when I started digging and found out there was a distillery right here, there's one right here and they're all like within five miles of each other at that point in time. Yeah. Pre-prohibition. Um, and the fact that cliff Springs, which is the one that TB Rippy owned Right there where that rock quarry sits now is where that one was sitting. That was the biggest distillery in the country before Prohibition. Oh, wow. And it sat right there, right there in Tyrone. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, those kind of things. And another one that is just 
so intrigued me on so many levels, and all credit goes to Eddie Russell for turning me onto this story, was the story of Mary Dowling and how she kind of outsmarted Prohibition on her own. I thought that was pretty impressive myself. Well, she's the one that went to Mexico with her she stocks, sure right? <laughs> she sure did. Yeah. She got arrested for bootlegging down there on Main Street. <laughs> Their prohibition. A couple of the guys that were running booze for her squealed on her, so they, then they come busted her. <laughs> and she's like, well, I'll just move it to Mexico and keep moving it. So yeah. that, those kind of stories are, are so cool to me to hear that. That whole area, Lawrenceburg and uh, – and, and you know Tyrone, right? Mm-hmm. And then right. across the, across the highway there in Frankfurt, that whole area there, just it, Glens Creek, right, all the way down Glens Creek. I mean, that just they were just producing such huge amounts of whiskey there yep. back in the day. I think it, I think I watched that 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 documentary called Neat, and yeah. they, they said that at at that point in time, I think it was the eighteen nineties, um, in in that area. Uh, they were producing all the whiskey because the average eighteen-year-old, uh, fifty, sorry, the average fifteen-year-old in the United States was consuming eighteen gallons of whiskey a year. Wow! Now they say average fifteen-year-old because I think back in those days, if you were fifteen, you were working like a man, right? Oh, even younger, yeah. even younger. I think yes. my dad said he had to go to work when he was like thirteen. Yeah. So I mean, you were you were working with the men and you were drinking with the men at that time, mm-hmm. and and the average fifteen-year-old adult male was consuming 18 gallons of whiskey a year. Now, I'm not sure what I'm drinking, but I don't think it's 18 gallons. I mean, that would be... I feel confident it's probably not. It's definitely not. (laughs) I hope not anyway. But if you walk into one of the older distilleries, and I'm just going to use the castle and the old... uh, Old Taylor. The old Taylor Taylor distillery there. If you walk in there and you see the old boilers, you're just like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And, And the amount of barrels that were being put out there... I think about the fact that um, a lot of those distillers are doing six to eight hundred barrels a day, mm-hmm. and if you look at the behemoth in uh, wild turkey, how many barrels a day are they doing out of wild turkey? On average, about five hundred and sixty a day. So we've got distilleries in the late eighteen hundreds that were matching wild turkey's production, mm-hmm. and there were many of those. Jimmy said when he got to that distillery, he was he was nineteen when he started there. Yeah. Uh, he said when he got there, they were doing 56 to 60 barrels a day at Anderson County when he got there. So that's about what they were filling up. Now it's 560 on average. Yeah. Um, and one of the guys that works in the uh, cistern room told me that the, they've got the capability of 600, but you really got to push it to make that happen. Yeah. That's what he was telling me. Wow. Just amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. It, it's really cool. And another thing, too, that, that I've noticed on more learned about why they were all in that spot. Like if you started floating, let's say you got on the river at Nicholasville, like we were talking about up there where the Curly Distillery and all those were. If you started floating, you'd float by a wild turkey. Yep. You would have floated by Cliff Springs. You'd have floated by a Clover Bottom. Keep on floating. You're going to float by Buffalo Trace. Yep. <laughs> the Kentucky River. Now, I, I didn't – I was studying this, and I, I hate to say that being born and raised in Kentucky, I didn't know this until a few months ago, but – Kentucky has more navigable waterways than any state in the continental United States. Really? Right. I didn't know that. Now, I just told you how many are sitting on the Kentucky River, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. The Kentucky River flows north. One of the few rivers in the world that does that. Hooks up with the Ohio and takes off down south. 
Then it's going to hook up with the Mississippi. Basically, what I'm saying is if you walk over across from Wild Turkey with a raft and jumped on the Kentucky River and started floating, you'd eventually dump out into the Gulf of Mexico. They could get that to Louisiana off that Kentucky River really easy and really quick compared to what, you know, there were no trucks and all that stuff back at that point in time, no highways and interstates. That was the fastest way to get it to Louisiana. And and Louisiana or New Orleans was known for bourbon. They were the biggest buyer in the country at right. that point in time. Because that was a port of shipping it out to the exactly. world, right? So everybody knew that New Orleans bourbon, right? But it was really Kentucky bourbon mm-hmm. that was coming down. There's still a bourbon street down there for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, but actually what they were doing was they were taking it down on flatboats. So a lot of those old, old places in New Orleans were being built with the wood that came from the flatboats. They'd sell those buy a horse and come back. So let me ask you this. If you go, <laughs> if you get outside of the, the river there, you go down Glens Creek. Now, Glens yep. Creek is another tributary into the Kentucky River. Yep. Know exactly where that's at. How did they get the whiskey from Glens Creek, which would be LeBron and Graham Distillery mm-hmm. and the Old Crow Distillery mm-hmm. and the, the other distilleries? How did they get that to the Kentucky River? I'm going to have to figure that one out, too. Because, uh, you haven't done it yet. Uh, no, I've got, got that far yet. Uh, now, Colonel Taylor had a Rail yard, right? <clears throat> Brought it right into the distillery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other folks, I don't. Would, they yeah. weren't. They weren't putting it on Glens Creek because that's just a. No, it wouldn't have taken you where you wanted to go. Babbling brook, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, and the fact that you know how much bourbon was coming out of Old Crow at that point in time, there was a lot of whiskey coming out of there. Was that? I don't know. Was that later on that they became such a prominent and big distillery? That's. That's some more. See, that's what's cool is because there's always something else for me to dig in on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, David Jennings has done a good job of the wild turkey history, right? Uh, you ain't kidding. That man, I mean, he's really he's really done a good job of that from Rippy to Russell, I think, mm-hmm. is the, the story there, right? And uh, But there's a lot more. There's a lot more of uh, Lawrenceburg and, and Frankfurt distilling history oh. that has, hasn't been told yet. Yeah. All those uh, – just, I think it's cool. I'll point out to people like if they go down Main Street and turn left, you're going to go buy all those old mansions that were built by all those distillers. And Jimmy said they were all like, well, you build that house that big, I'll build one bigger. <laughs> and that was kind of what was going on. You know, you've got the like you and I were talking earlier about the WB Saffle. Saffle home still sits there just yeah. like it looked on the label of that bottle back then. Uh, right beside of it, which is now the Gash Funeral Home, was where I think it was the Lillards. Yeah, the Lillards lived there from Bond and Lillard. Yeah. You know, Mary's was John Dowling. They lived in the big white one on the left. That's where she actually got popped, was right there on the left side of the street. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know Mike and I had the, the great honor of uh, speaking at the Rippy House one night. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's just an amazing place, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one. You've still got that one, too. And there was a lady came in a couple weeks ago. This is another great thing about it. When we get the locals in there, some of those folks have been around for a while, and they'll tell you stories about what was going on back then at that point in time. And she was telling me that the Saffle, the caves, you know, mm-hmm. that everybody talks about the legendary Saffle caves that are supposed to exist. She said they did because when she was a kid, she played down in that basement where it's all bricked up now where you would go into those caves. So she said it did exist. So that, somebody needs to figure that out, yeah. right? And then Eddie yeah. Russell tells me while they were building his house, he was living in the Saffle house for a while. I'm like, how did you leave that part out of this story, dude? That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that, is so, that is so awesome. 
Well, we have one more oh, whiskey yeah. on our list tonight, and uh, we've got it in the glass. So let's check it out. And this is our last glass of the night, guys. <laughs> Good way to finish. I, I I walked in there, and they had a number of bottles on the shelf. This is at the you know the Wild Turkey Visitor Center, and and I hadn't been around back corner yet to see if Bo was there or not, but. And I was toying with, should I get the single barrel bourbon or should I get the single barrel rye? No, I want to buy a bottle while I'm here. And I spotted that hat over on the shelf, that leather. Oh, that, yeah, the old Jimmy hat. The old Jimmy hat. And uh, I told my wife, I'm going to get that hat. But let's walk back and have a cocktail or let's go back and have a pour. And we did. I think I came back there and you said um, something about the rye. The rye is extra special, I think. Yeah, hard to find. Yeah. Number one, hard to find. And I've never had anybody not take a sip of that rye and go, holy cow, this is really good. <laughs> so you you basically pointed, you, you suggested the rye, and, and I tried it. And uh, I think my mind was made up before I tasted it. When I had the nose, I think mm-hmm. my mind was already made up. And this is our fourth pour of the night. And and I have to say that, you know, Wild Turkey is not necessarily super well known for its rise. Mm-mm. But um, they've had some rise that are exceptional. Probably most well known for the Cornerstone and more recently the Rare Breed Rye. Yeah. Well, that, that Rare Breed Rye, I think it was like a top five whiskey of the year when it came out. Yeah. And this is the Russell's. Single barrel rye. Yep. This is a 2022 vintage. Mm-hmm. 2022. Well, this is, a, yeah, this was bottled this year. The one you bought was. Oh, this is a 23 vintage. Oh, I'm sorry. You're 22. You're right. 22 sorry. vintage. Okay. This is a 20. What's the proof on this? I keep forgetting we're in 2023. <laughs> I know. It, 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 the changeover takes a while, right? <laughs> of course, then I act like 2020 didn't exist at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually about, you know, Kentucky Derby time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the next year. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So this is a 2022 single single barrel rye. It's 104 four proof, and uh, it's obviously barreled under the Russell's label mm-hmm. single barrel. Be somewhere around seven years when the barrel gets chosen for this. Now, seven year rye is pretty respectable. Ryes tend to age a little bit faster than bourbons. They come they come to maturation a little bit sooner, right? And I have no clue why that is, but it just happens. I I don't know either because, like we were talking about having Cornerstone, that was some pretty old rye. Um, the rise that went into the most recent Master's Keep, um, the Unforgotten. Yeah. That was nine, 11-year-old rye whiskey that went into that. It did not come across harsh. It, you know, none of those things you think are going to happen happened with that. I think Wild Turkey's mash bill for rye does really well to age a little longer. You know, whiskey as an, as an American thing, so – so our our forefathers started on the East Coast, right? They started up in uh, New England, whether it be Plymouth or New York or you know Boston or you know wherever it is. They started on the East Coast, and it took a while for them to migrate west, right, to where the corn was growing. Yeah. So until they did, they made all their whiskey out of rye. Yeah, you got to think a lot of those guys, those families coming over, Scotland, Ireland, the. They've been making rye whiskeys, what they've been doing. It grows right. better there. 
Corn didn't grow very well over there. <laughs> I think the Indians introduced them to the corn, right? I, I, that's my impression, too, is that the corn came. As they started to migrate west, they started to realize that rye does not grow that well yeah. in those areas, but corn will. And then, of course, somebody figured out they could still make good liquor with corn. Here we are. I know if you go to uh, Mount Vernon, you know, George Washington's right. homestead, uh, that you're going to get rye whiskey there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what, what he was making. That's right. He was at one. Did you know that he was at one point the biggest distiller in the country? I heard that right before the whiskey rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> George Washington was. He, he, and then from what I've read and uh, have learned and come to understand, he only had the one still. And I can't remember. I want to say that the gentleman who was making his whiskey was Irish, or he was managing the farm. I think he was Irish. And he was the one that told George Washington, basically like, look, if you turn this into liquor, people will buy a lot of it. And next thing you know, he's like putting new steels in. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think a lot of the, I I saw something the other day on social media is the greatest thing, right? You get all this information like flooding into you all day, every day, and you don't know how much of it to believe, but there was this one post I saw that said, after the Continental Congress and what they drank after they signed the Constitution, they had a party, right? Right. Or whatever it was. The And it was like, I mean, there was only like 60 of them there, but they drank like 120 gallons of stuff. So it's like unreal. <laughs> There's some serious drinking going on. Back I then. have a feeling that a lot of, the, of the, the foundation of this country was actually came to fruition around alcohol. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> when it was those guys up there in the Northeast that were doing it. I got a funny feeling that a lot of those big uh, conversations happened around alcohol. Well, let's have a conversation around this uh, single barrel rye from uh, oh, Russell's. Yeah. What do you think? Wow. Nose is fantastic. Yeah, it really is a great, great nose on this whiskey. And and like I said, I think I had already decided this is the bottle I wanted before I ever tasted it because that that nose just captivated me. Yep. uh, It does have a little bit of a bite. If you take a a big enough whiff, you'll get that little bite at the end, that little sizzle on your nose. But it's it's got that freshness to it, that that sort of that... Um, you know, that rye pine freshness that you get. Uh, But you can just, you can see that there's an underlying like candy grain, kind of a right. You don't expect the sweetness you get from it. Yeah. It's really good. I want to taste it. Cheers guys. Cheers. Wow. That is just, I don't think it's as peppery as you expect it to be either. No, no, not at all. No, but it is flavor packed. I mean, it is just so full of flavor. It's like super concentrated. Yep. Great mouthfeel. Yeah. Great mouthfeel. But it's got a wonderful rye sort of uh, freshness and lightness yeah, to it. There's that bright thing that comes from like rye. Yeah. It's yeah. there. But it's got a nice candy sweetness to it. There's uh, there's a little bit of that rye, sort of like buttered rye bread, kind of ripe rye muffin kind of stuff but uh i i would say it's more aromatic than it is sort of uh earthy oh absolutely totally agree with that so what you've got is a is a recipe there that um <laughs> from a master distiller who's not the biggest rye fan in the world sure you know jimmy's not a really a big rye guy as far as that goes so uh 
when people are asking about the recipe, I don't give those out, number one, because I don't want Jimmy to take me out of his will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you get the scooter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want the scooter. That's what I want. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Obviously kidding there. Uh, but it, he made a rye whiskey for a bourbon drinker. I make jokes all the time to people. I say, it's barely legal. Yeah. It's, you know. and, and I would kind of expect that. And I, I think we kind of already know that. I mean, as a bourbon drinking public, we know the rye coming out of wild turkey are yeah. Kentucky rye. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's now called Kentucky rye for a reason. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's extremely tasty. It's um, It's one that I think definitely a bourbon like you said a bourbon drinker could appreciate this it blew me away i've never been that much of a rye fan you know like i said earlier my my palate has tended through the years to lean more what i eventually learned was jimmy's Mm -hmm. palate uh but when i tried this i was like holy cow when you had when bruce was on here did he tell you the story about when he first started there about the rye thing and jimmy not liking rye whiskeys I'm sure he probably did. I don't recall, but oh we had we had just a few whiskeys that day. Well, you know those things happen. <laughs> um, so I, I want to say I want to say it was Eddie that actually told me the story. It might have been Bruce, but I think it was Eddie. Uh, <laughs> it, Bruce had started there, and Bruce loves rye whiskey. Him and all of his friends were drinking rye, and they were at lunch, and uh, Bruce. Had basically he had tried. I guess it, I think he said it was the Russell six year rye that he had tried and just loved it. And I guess him and Eddie and Jimmy were at lunch and Bruce looked across the table and said, "Mimi, I think that six year Russell's rye might be some of the best stuff you're making right now." And he said, "Jimmy looked across the table and went, you 'You're fired.'" <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was awesome, <laughs> Eddie. I, it was Eddie because Eddie said later he said told him not to worry about it. He's fired me eight times. Well, yeah. Jimmy definitely knows what he likes. <clears throat> his palate is even you know even at his age, his palate is uh, unsurpassable. Right? I mean, he knows. I've heard stories about how you can taste a honey and tell you what county it comes out of, or uh, how he'll taste a tea and he'll know which leaves are in it. You know, all that kind of stuff. He's just got a great palate. I know he did a was it a bourbon ball or a brownie or some kind of candy or something that was. A lady brought it in and told him that she did it with one hundred and one. He tasted. He said, "That's good, but that ain't one hundred and one. That's Jim Beam." Well, you got to be good to do that. No doubt about it. I'd agree that, you know, if, uh, but like you said, if if you're a bourbon guy or gal and and you don't really like rye, you should give this a shot. I think you'll be very, very uh, pleased with what you do. And I've been telling people that when they come to the bar, like on the days I'm running the bar back there and I'll be like, do you like rye at all? Well, I'm kind of getting into my rye, you know, because it is growing. The, the love for rye whiskey is growing every day. If you like rye at all, let me turn you on to this one right here. Because it is harder to locate. We don't do as much of that particular rye, you know, because like rare breed rye took top five whiskey of the year. So you're going to make a lot more of that one. Sure. Right. So it's the way that works out. <laughs> I know when I found out that the delivery truck had a, a delivery of 
single barrel rye on it. One of the other guys there, Tyler, the other guy that works with me there, we, we were like ready to dance together. Like, oh my gosh, they finally <laughs> got it again. Well, I'm half tempted to go get another bottle. I really am because it's, it's, good. it's, it's darn fine. So listeners, if, if, if you're hearing this and, uh, and I, I can pretty much guarantee them that this is going to be on the shelf when this show pops here in a couple of days, right? They're going to have it on the shelf. Yes, as far as I know, okay. we are. If you can make your way to the Wild Turkey Distillery Visitor Center, uh, chances are very, very good that you can get your hands on a single barrel rye. Mm. And uh, it's, I'd say, exceptional. I, I mean, abo- ab- well above um, others that I've had any time recently. Really good. I, I absolutely agree. And I'm kind of... In that um, window, like like with Eddie Russell, that it's supposed to be non-chill filtered. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way they originally made it, and they made it that way for a reason. When you taste it, so. And what's a bottle going to cost somebody at the shop there? I want to say that one is right around the sixty dollar window. I think you're right. I think that's what it was. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get any discount that day. You charged me full price. <laughs> I was at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I have to say that, you know, if if you're experienced with rye whiskeys as a 95.5 Indiana rye, uh, I love them. Personally, I like them a lot, but they're more candy sweet. You know, they're, they don't have this sort of uh, this sort of rye toast kind of full bodied effect that this rye has. This has still got that little bit of candy sweetness to it. Yes, it does. But it's very aromatic and it's also got that uh, kind of rye muffin. A little bit of rye muffin. So you get a little bit more of the grain, I think, in this, which is nice. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, big fan. Well, Bo, I know you brought uh, one of your instruments with you today, and it's one that is pretty familiar from across the room. We've seen it before. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this uh, little guitar you brought? So I started calling this thing. It's a box guitar, but it's not a cigar box guitar. Uh it is a, as you can see, a Russell's 2003 box that was turned into a guitar for me. Uh, if anybody is interested, uh, if you're on Instagram, if you go to Mike's Bourbon and Guitars on Instagram, you'll see his work. So he brings this in as a, an unbelievable uh, gift to me one day. And I started playing around with it, and it just—it's fun. It, um, now, most people—we talked about this a little earlier. Most people will look at this thing and think, "Cigar box guitar." You're supposed to play that with a slide. I'm from the hills of Eastern Kentucky. I'm a real hillbilly, so the first thing I thought of was a banjo. So I—I I don't use a slide on it, but it's—it's it's fantastic. It's awesome. Jimmy signed it too. Jimmy happened to be there that day, and I've got a really cool picture of Jimmy holding it like he's actually playing it and. Being a rock star, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to yeah. see that picture. So, Russell's 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, this they is- said they drank the bottle just so they could have the box to make the guitar with. <laughs> so, those are my kind of people right there. They, they didn't share any of that 2003 with you? <laughs> no, they just brought me the guitar. <laughs> but you've had you've had the 2003 I have. before. It's good. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty fine whiskey. It is. One that uh, you won't forget in your lifetime when you've had it. Uh, much like this uh, 2022 
uh, export is kind of exceptional. Every now and then yeah. we get one of those, right? Yeah. You got to know somebody, but yeah. Or this rye. That, I know the people who make that. You can get that one. You can get that one. Yeah. <laughs> so on the single barrel rye, do you think that uh, this is more of an exception to the rule or is this, are they pretty good all the time? They're always good. They're always good. Is this one exceptionally good? I don't know because they had been gone for so long until we got this delivery in. Um, I think we had like an 18-month – was it? yeah, it was like an 18-month window of being without it before we could get it again. Yeah. It's got just a little bit of juicy fruit gum in it, man. I mean, wow. Just amazing. It's for real. All right. I tell you what. I'm so excited, Bo. I mean – you rocked the stage for so many years with Montgomery Gentry and, and you know, you've brought this wonderful gobble. You call it your gobble box. I call it a gobble box because I couldn't think of anything else to call it. So Signed by Jimmy Russell. It is. You got it plugged in. I'd love to hear you do a little riff on it. Sure. That was pretty awesome. So, do you ever slap on the box at all? Or is it- I've tried it. I'm just not. I'm not that guy. You're not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so concentrated on the strings that it's just like, yeah. If I start doing that, I'm gonna screw that up. But I have, uh, I have thought about that and done it before. Yeah, I've tried to do it before. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what you can do with three strings. So how how difficult is <laughs> it's three it? Three less I have to worry about. Three less. That you- <laughs> So uh, how hard is it to, to make that transition from six to three? It's tough because there's obviously there's a tuning change that goes on there to do three strings versus the six. You really need to remember where that top string is tuned to, or otherwise you're going to go for one thing and get something totally different out of it. Now, the strings farther apart or? They are. Yeah. Much farther apart. I play a Strat a lot now. Yeah. Um, most of my life on the road, I played a Firebird, Gibson. Gibson necks are a little wider than, than a fender neck, plus they're thicker. Uh, so those fender necks, man, I love them because they're small. And they're easy to wrap your fingers around. This is kind of like a fender neck with that Gibson spacing. So it's kind of like, oh, wow, that didn't confuse me at all. Yeah, yeah. So Firebird, that, that has something to do with your like Instagram handle a little bit, right? It Fire, does. Firebird bow. Yeah. Yeah. We When we started out as MG um, – we were all huge Southern rock fans. Leonard Skinner was our band, man. That was what we wanted to be. It was like, we wanted to be like Leonard Skinner. The guy who played with Leonard Skinner, that was my personal hero. His name was Alan Collins. 
He always played an old Firebird. And I wanted to play a Firebird. You know, and of course, you had people like Johnny Winter who played yep. a Firebird, another legendary hero to me. Sure. And I wanted to play an old Firebird. And once I did, I just kind of stuck with it. And nobody in country music was playing a Firebird. That was rock and roll. Oh, that's the devil's guitar. Um, but I was like, I really don't care. That's what I love. So that's what I'm playing. And it kind of stuck with me is that I kind of, you know, people expected to see me playing that guitar. And when I play something different, they would be like, where's, where's the Firebird? That really started happening, you know. And my favorite experience with the Firebird guitar was that we were playing the Grand Ole Opry uh, during CMA Fest. And I'm standing on the side of the stage getting ready to go out for our thing, you know. In, in my left ear, over my shoulder, I hear this voice. And the voice sounded exactly like this. It was like, that's a mighty nice sax you're playing now, my brother. I turned around, it's freaking Billy Gibbons. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, holy cow, dude. <laughs> and so, you know, it just kind of became a thing. We did shows with them later on. And, you know, they had that song, The Bird is the Word. Yeah. So for those who don't know who Billy Gibbons is. ZZ Top. Yeah, ZZ yeah. Top. Yeah. Um, saw him backstage. They were on a golf cart going by the back of the stage one time. And I just looked over and kind of waved. He goes, the bird's the word, man. I was like, <laughs> I was like dang, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So so you – you lead guitarists. You guys are you're kind of like this elite club of, of guitar players out there who've, who've rocked the stage around the world. And so, is there is there a, a bit of camaraderie when you see each other out among guitarists? Yeah, many times, yes. And but there are you have like anything else. You have certain guitar players who. Look at it as competition, like I'm better than you, or or I can yeah. play faster than you, or this thing or that thing or whatever. Um, but for the most part, we we are all kind of like, hey man, I like what you're doing. That, that's cool, you know. Um, best example I could possibly give you that. It's like I feel like I'm being a name dropper here, but you know, that's all right. I, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of folks. Sure. So we went on this thing at Brooks and Dunn tour and it was called the neon circus tour, which was basically like boys night out every weekend. It was us, Toby Keith, Keith urban and Brooks and Dunn. It was a pretty good show. And we had just gotten started. I was a big Keith urban fan because I had heard him with a band called the ranch. So I knew what this cat could do with a guitar before he ever became famous. I just saw him like a month ago and he was, he killed it on stage. He is fantastic. Yeah. So, I already knew that before he became a star. And I can't remember what song it was that he had out at that point in time. It was a big hit. He was starting to really shoot up the ladder. And I loved it. So I'm I'm playing that riff. We're getting ready to do our sound check. And I'm at my amp, and I'm playing that riff from his big song he had out. I turn around, and there he stood <laughs> with his arms crossed looking at me. And I'm like, oh, crap, what do I do here? Uh, so I just looked at him and said, just get used to it. I'm stealing every riff you've got while we're out here. <laughs> and he came to me later out of catering and he threw me one of his caps with one of his baseball caps. He said, if you're going to steal my riffs, you might as well wear my merchandise. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and we're still to this day, if I see him, he will call me by name. He will hug me. Um, 
we did the Opry with him one night. My wife is a huge Keith Urban fan, and she was like, God, you guys are not really friends. I'm like, I'm telling you, we're buddies. <laughs> and he came in the dressing room to see me, and I put him on the phone with my wife. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you speak to my wife and let her know that we actually know each other? He said, what's her name? And he said, Jeannie, and he did that really – ultra cool Australian. Hello, Janie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So he's like the greatest showman, right? He is such mm-hmm. a great, great showman. He's a good human being. He's a good human being. And I, and I, yeah, he's, he really loves to uh, incorporate uh, the audience in a show mm-hmm. and, and really reaches out and embraces those in the audience who are, uh, may have special needs mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and just need a, a little bit of lifting up. Dude's I think like, it's great. Dude's like five foot tall, but he's got a heart the size of a pickup truck. Yeah. It's he's a good man. I I will always go to bat for Keith anytime he needs me. That's awesome. Not that he'll ever need me with the money he's making, but yeah. <laughs> hey Keith, yeah. <laughs> Keith, remember me, buddy? <laughs> when you're heading out on that boat, give me a call. <laughs> Jim, I'd like to jump back just real quick if we if you don't mind and and just ask what that experience is at the Grand Old Opry because you know I mean it's the it's the Mecca like that. That's it for country music. So what was that feeling the first time that you walked out and you had the opportunity to be there? Nervous, very nervous because you've been, I grew up, see, I'm, I'm old. I'm telling my age now for sure. But Friday nights, the Grand Ole Opry was what my dad would put on the radio. I grew up with the Grand Ole Opry. So in my mind, the Grand Ole Opry was like this pinnacle of success that as a musician that you needed, if you reached the opera, you really had made it, you know? Um, so that first time to walk out there and you see that circle, you know, it's like Hank Sr. stood there. That's the kind of thing you start thinking. It's like, holy cow, this is amazing. Um, I got really nervous because the last thing I wanted to do was screw up Hillbilly Shoes on the Grand Ole Opry. But we wound up playing it multiple times after that. Yeah. With with so many different artists. Like I said, you know, the whole Billy Gibbons story. And, um, and we got to meet some of the guys that we grew up listening to, like little Jimmy Dickens, and you get to know them, and they know who you are when you walk in. Uh, little, little Jimmy was – he was a character, man. <laughs> he was awesome. He told us a story one time backstage. He said, I went to the doctor. He said, I couldn't hear nothing out of this ear over here. He said, I went to the doctor, and he said, Doc, I can't hear a thing out of this ear right here. And he said, well, let me look at you, Jimmy, and see what's going on. He said, the doctor looked at my ear, and he said, well, I know why you can't hear nothing out of your ear. He said, you've got a suppository stuck back in your ear. <laughs> Jimmy said, I tell him, thank you, Doc. Now I know what I did with that hearing aid. <laughs> So having a, having a hit like Hillbilly Shoes that that kind of puts you guys on the map and mm-hmm. and uh, what did it feel like during that breakout time? I mean, was it did it happen all at once? Was it gradual? Did I, I think both? I think it happened all at once, but it felt gradual to us. If that yeah. makes any sense whatsoever, we were a, we were having a party, man. It's like, holy cow, we're not at a bar. We don't have to fight our way out of this place every night. 
people setting your gear up for you? Not initially. Not initially, but no. you got there eventually. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'd always give Eddie Montgomery a hard time about that. He said, well, got that amp? Yeah, I wish I was a singer, so all I had to do is walk in with a microphone. <laughs> um, but it didn't dawn on us. Honestly, I can't say it did. Uh, we were We were still relatively young. And it was truly a busload of guys who were already friends. Yeah. We didn't have to get to know each other. We already knew each other. We were already buddies. All of us, the entire band and Eddie and Troy. Looking out for each other. Yeah. If you didn't, if, if you, honestly, you hear it all the time. If you mess with one, you mess with everybody. Sure. That was kind of how we were. Not that we got in trouble for anything like that, but it, it was just a camaraderie that yeah. was there. And we just couldn't believe, holy cow, this is awesome. Well, that's amazing great memories yes sir I'd, more blessed than i ever deserved to be there's no doubt about yeah. that well you know we all have seasons to our life we all have, we all have uh those times we go through where we do one thing and then we move on to something else and and uh you've had a couple of great things in your life including, no including family right yep no doubt tell us a little bit about your family life and and you know where you live and what you do and Living over in Lawrenceburg, about eight minutes from that distillery. Yeah. Uh, got the wife and the dogs, and that's kind of my life now, man, which is really cool. Yeah. I told her just the other day, actually, we were sitting there watching TV, and one of the dogs was laying on her on the couch, and the other one was laying across my feet when I'm sitting in my chair, and I said, if you had ever told me that being here with you and these dogs would be the ultimate spot for me to think I wanted to be. I would have never believed you because it was always New York city, LA, yeah, Canada, Australia, wherever, you know, there's a lot to be said for being content with where you are in your life. Oh, you know, no doubt. But I will say this about our kids though. You hear people tell you all the time about that emptiness thing. Oh, yeah. love them when they're there. Cause when they're gone, you're going to miss them. That's yeah. a lie. Yeah. That's a lie. We're glad they're gone. <laughs> I'm kidding, kids. We love you. Come back I, I remember. Us. I remember a commercial on TV like years ago where the mom and dad were like feigning tears in their eyes because their child, their their one and only child, was getting in the car to drive off to college, and they're acting all sad and everything. The kid pulls away. Start they, they start high fiving yeah. each other. They go inside and turn his room into a jacuzzi room. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, now I've got my like studio room upstairs where I can play music or record video, whatever. And which used to be a bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you love your kids, but you want them to get on with their life, right? Best thing you can do as a parent is prepare them for what's next. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, that doesn't mean always being best friends, but. <laughs> well, Bo, we've had such a an amazing time with you tonight. We always do, but it's been great. We. Brian and I really appreciate you coming out, visiting with us tonight, drinking a little bit of whiskey with us and sharing some stories, sharing a little bit of music. And uh, we'd love to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know where they can follow you and hear those great stories, those history stories, those pictures, those things uh, that you have going on uh, through social media. And once you once you share for them uh, where they can find you. Easiest way to find me. Um is through Instagram or Twitter, and it goes back to what you were saying with the Firebird earlier. Just if you at Firebird Bow, all one word, 
um, that's going to show up. And Bo is B-O. B-O. Yeah, I ain't French. It's B-O. It's I'm not B-A-U <laughs> or anything like that. I'm a hillbilly. It's B-O. <laughs> and they can always find you. Uh, if the doors are open at Wild Turkey, you you're can find there. me there. <laughs> you're there. And they can find you leading the tour. They can find you uh, pouring Back, cocktails at the bar right. at the visitor center. Might be behind the counter, like checking you out at the register, telling stories, whatever. But right. that is my favorite thing I do right now is talk to people about wild turkey and jimmy and eddie well i think we really had a great time today Bo. we drank some great whiskeys we had uh some good conversation and we always look forward to having you on again brian where can people find us on the internet well guys you can find us on uh facebook youtube twitter instagram we also do a little bit of tiktok here and there you can also find us on our private Facebook group, The Bourbon Roadies. We have well over 3,000 members, uh, just good people, you know, good friends, sharing whiskey, sharing stories, sharing pictures, just having a good time. Bo, I think you're a bourbon roadie. You've been one for quite a long time. Yeah. We'd love to have conversation with our roadies. We we would love to have you become one. If you're thinking, what, is, what does it take to become a bourbon roadie? It's really quite simple. You just... Go on to Facebook and search The Bourbon Roadies, and when it comes up, it'll ask you to join, and you can answer three quick questions. We just want to make sure you're 21, you like bourbon, because we want to make sure you know you're getting into a bourbon group, uh, and that you agree to play nice, because we just don't accept any rudeness in the group. If you're going to chop somebody off at the knees for what they're drinking, if you're going to tell somebody they shouldn't be drinking that 10 high whiskey or that old crow whiskey or whatever it is, that Kessler on the bottom shelf... You know, just let them be. Let them drink what they want to drink and enjoy what they're drinking. Uh, just make sure that they're drinking their whiskey and not storing it up in a in a room somewhere that it's never going to get open. Amen. That's right. Jim. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As right. always, we don't like it when people come on and try to sell their bourbon. Yeah, we don't allow any of that because you know what? We like to have this group, the Bourbon Roadies, on Facebook. If you come on and try to sell whiskey, they're going to shut us down. So we don't want anything to do with that. You know, just go Make make a friend at your local liquor store, revisit them, buy some bourbon from them, talk to them when you're there. They'll make sure you get a good bottle every now and then. I got one last social media question for you. Yeah. Are you guys doing those TikTok dances? I'd subscribe just uh, for that. I mean, I tell you what, I, if I could dance, I would. Can you dance, Brian? Well, I would say this, uh, with the right amount of whiskey, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> But it would be the right amount to get me there. <laughs> I, maybe maybe if you'll come on and dance with that box. Oh, I got a bad hip and a bad shoulder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't want to see me dance. <laughs> oh, man. But we have such a great time. We definitely want to hear from you, roadies. Reach out to us. Uh, you can reach Brian and I. You can reach Tyler. All at the same email address. It's team at com. You send an email to team at com, and we'll all three get it. We're very responsive. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got an idea for a show, if you've got an idea for a bottle, if you're if you've got a distillery in your hometown that's really doing it right, that's kicking it, and you want to shine a little light on them, let us know. We'll reach out to them. We'll get them on the show. We'll do an interview. Uh, we'll review their whiskey. We'll try to help them any way we can. You can always go to our website, thebourbonroad.com. We've got a store on there. You can buy our swag. You can read our articles. Brian's been writing some articles lately. A lot of great stuff going on. Uh, we'd love to have you listen to every single show that comes out every single week. And the way to do that, Brian, what do they have to do? 
So you can go to Spotify, YouTube, Apple. You can also go to our website. You can see all those good places that we uh, that we post. You can hit the subscribe button, and it will notify you every time we have a new podcast coming out. All right. And until then, folks, we will see you down the bourbon, bourbon road. road.